Okay, see you in half an hour, guys. Half an hour, I gave away my uh, the timing, didn't I? But yeah, we've got some, uh, some amazing stuff to do, and most importantly, Alice's baptism. So thanks everyone else for, uh, for coming, but I'm really pleased for you, Alice. I'm really pleased for you. And we're going to talk a little bit about baptism, if you hadn't a guest, which we tend to do at baptistries. Baptisms. I really enjoy them. And um, I was going to make some sort of like half-attempted joke at saying, and only part of that is to do with the fact that I get to wear shorts to church. Um, which I do. I also get to wear my flip-flops of truth. I don't know why, but I tend to wear flip-flops and I tend to tell the truth. And um, I was praying a great deal for today about what we would share because it is such a joyous occasion, not only for those who are being baptised, but for those who have been baptised. Because I think it acts as a great reminder, doesn't it, as to the commitment we've made to the new life we've been given, the promise that we have. But I was doing some... Um, I had to borrow a promise this picture won't work with an iPad okay so I, and I read the Bible on an iPad now I have every translation in the world downloaded on that book um, but it doesn't work as an illustration so I borrowed Chris's Bible thank you do you know I was driving home from Bristol yesterday and I was thinking about the faith and if you remember the last time I preached we talked about James and we talked about how he'd written to the persecuted church and how he really did simplify what the Christian faith should look like it should be about helping the poor. It should be about being friends with the widow. And it should be about not having any sin in your life. Well, that led me to think this week about how complicated we make the faith. Our faith, our relationship with God, our church, our church life. And this really funny illustration came to me yesterday that I wondered that if I slit open with a sharp knife the front cover of the Bible and the back cover of the Bible, whether I would find a couple of secret hidden books, hidden from humankind for generations. And I think if they were, the first one would possibly be called the Book of Ignorance, and the last one would be called the Book of Arrogance. Because I speak to an awful lot of non-Christians, far more non-Christians than I do Christians, uh, and now obviously the second group is Christians. But when I talk to non-Christians, whether they're people of other faiths or whether they're agnostics or atheists, they've clearly read the Book of Ignorance because they believe what social media has told them. They believe what the media has told them. They believe what Derek down the pub once told them. I went to an Alpha course this week, not one of our church ones, but a different one. And some of the questions that were asked were brilliant questions, but they were the normal questions that you get asked at an Alpha course. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Uh, what does God define as sin? All those kind of things. Well, this particular guy was um, particularly clever because he was quoting scripture within the questions. But he couldn't tell me any of the scriptures around those scriptures because they use them a bit like bullies. They may read a passage, or somebody once told them, the Bible says this about slavery. Therefore, God is okay with slavery. Well, we know that slavery is evil. Therefore, God must be evil. Ha-ha! Point to the atheist. Well, well, we'll put that logic in the book of ignorance, shall we? Oh, bless her. 
she gave it a, she gave it a good try. <laughs> Swan Mead obviously have better children's worker than us. <laughs> I can only say that because the children's worker is the one who's turned up six hours early to let us in today. <laughs> well, I think you would all laugh and smile at the, uh, the Book of Ignorance because I think most of us here are saved. Most of us have some sort of revelation of Jesus. Well, how would you feel then if I told you that most Christians I speak to seem to live their lives in the book of arrogance. Well, the book of ignorance is before you've read the Bible. The book of arrogance is after you've read it. That's when you start to say things like this. Well, I agree with Jesus and everything he taught, but the rest of it is open to interpretation. In fact, uh, it's called contextualization. We have to understand that it was first written for them and then written for us. And these are all great theological bases that you learn in Bible college. They are. But it doesn't give you free will to contextualise away half of what the scriptures tell you. If we really simplify the faith, really simplify it, Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him we think about what we said last week in James we know that our faith our Christianity we're followers of Christ is based on our relationship with Jesus we know that we are saved by grace that's it if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that he is Lord Romans 10 then you're a Christian you're a follower of Jesus and you are saved and I will see you in heaven I'm the biggest sinner here, probably. The only reason I say that is because I know more about my sin than I do about yours. So by my own definition, I'm the biggest sinner here. Well, maybe you think you're the biggest sinner here. I don't know. Maybe you think you are. But I know I am. And I'm going to get into heaven because I believed in my heart and I confessed with my lips that he was Lord. Do you think that gives me the right to take thousands of years of teaching some of which was the direct word of God, some of which was the direct word of Jesus, direct quotes witnessed by hundreds, and start to over-contextualize, start to rip out pages that don't fit with my theology, rip out words and change meanings to things that don't fit with today's society or today's world. No, it also doesn't give me free will to be a complete idiot and just take things out of context and use them to berate others to drag other people down. Do you know the, the number one theme in this book is love. The number one theme is love. Yet every atheist you meet, every agnostic you meet, every uh, person of a different faith you meet, they'll tell you that the number one theme of this book is hatred and intolerance and unacceptance. Do you know, I could probably think why they would think that. Because it seems to be more of what we talk about, doesn't it? Ricky's in trouble again. I don't care. It's true. When we go to the media, we don't get an opportunity anymore, do we, to see the televangelist on BBC One, ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, Quest, for those of you who pay for your TV, Sky Sports 1. Rugby player recently posted something on his uh, social media. He got fired by Australian rugby. Do you know he quoted the Bible? 
Now, yes, there was no context given, and yes, to a certain group of people, that would be deemed as uh, hatred towards them, etc. But he posted on his personal page a, a section of scripture, New Testament as well. It wasn't some sort of like weird thing out of Leviticus or Numbers. And he was fired. But as soon as the church does something wrong, as soon as a, a priest has done something in his past, it'll make front page news. As soon as there's a debate over ethics or morals, that's when the Christians get a voice. And instead of preaching love, we tend to preach theology. We tend to highlight the arguments that we have in our own churches. I could, within seven questions, fall out with every single person in this room. In fact, I'm pretty sure I could probably do it in two. Um, probably one or two of you that might only take one. <laughs> it's probably one or two of you. It might take three, but I'm pretty sure I could find something really horrible that I could fall out with you on. As opposed to saying to you, hey, do you know what? I love Jesus, so I'm going to be in heaven. And you love Jesus, so you're going to be in heaven too. We're going to spend eternity together. Should we focus on what we have in common rather than what we don't have? Well, I want to back that up with a little bit. It comes out of Romans 10. I'm going to read the whole bit to you if that's okay. Uh, Romans 10, 5 to 13. It says, Moses writes about this, about the righteousness that is by the law. Well, I did some... Uh, did some personal research. Carol, I was talking to Carol about this during the week. It's an interesting subject. Outside of my time in the church, I've been doing some personal study because I keep on coming into contact with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Seventh-day Adventists, Catholics, people of other faiths. I'm not just going to limit it to those, but I name those because they're the ones that claim to be Christians. So they're the ones that claim that we have the most in common. Do you know, I find that all of them, we can take the Catholics out for a second, I probably shouldn't have named them within this. But you know when you get these sects and cults, and that's what they are, I'm not going to be apologetic about it. People who have taken the Christian faith, morphed it, added something to it, taken something away from it. I find this really strange phenomena. That the first thing that they remove from the Christian faith is hell. Every single one of those cults, those twists, those changes from Christianity, the first thing they remove is hell. The first thing they add is works. And by definition, they remove grace. They suddenly say to you, there is no hell. There is annihilation. Well... If you talk to a group of non-Christians, it's the one thing about the Christian faith that they don't see as fair. How can a loving God send people to hell? Let's not get into the theology about who lives in hell. But if we remove that, so you have a choice. You either choose the Christian faith, or you choose something that they call annihilation. You just don't exist anymore. There's no consequence to your action. Do you know, I could even tell you now within... Uh, Christian faith, a number of people now are starting to believe in this, this theory that there is no hell. They use lines like, well, Jesus said something like hell 
a place like hell. So that could be here. Hell could be earth. Hell could be the mistakes that you make and the suffering that we have on earth. Because they don't want to think of anything worse. Well, I'm not going to speak to you about hell today. I'm just using it as an example. But hell exists, guys. Jesus talks about hell. The whole Bible talks about hell. There's going to be a consequence to our choice. If there isn't, it's called universalism and it's called heresy. We take away consequence. Well, the next thing they do is they add in works. Because we cannot comprehend that somebody else died for you. Somebody else did everything that you needed to do. We don't want that. We don't like that. And we'll be sexist here. Men especially don't like that. We want to earn our salvation. If I am a good person, then I will go to heaven. If I am charitable, if I am kind, then I will go to heaven. So they take out of the, the, the Christian faith all of these uncomfortable truths. I did warn you I was wearing my flip-flops of truth today, didn't I? They take away these uncomfortable truths out of scripture to make it more palatable. And we wonder why they're successful. Mormons, for example, I mean, it's, it's a very small group by comparison, but two and a half million people, when they meet a Mormon, two and a half million Mormons in the world, that was statistics probably out of date now, but it's not a vast amount more than that. Do you know when you meet a Mormon, they will tell you, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and I believe in the Holy Ghost. I didn't know that until very recently. I didn't know that. That a Mormon will tell you they believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'll use you one example. What do they mean by God the Father? Well, they don't mean Yahweh. Yahweh's a different God. Jehovah, as we would know him, he's a different God. God the Father is Adam, as we would know him. The first man. And he ascended to be God. So he's God the Father. He's the Father of all mankind. So be careful when people quote things to you. I believe in the same as you. Did you know that I believe in Jesus too? And when he died, he also ascended to become a God. So I believe in Jesus doesn't make them the same either. There's uncomfortable truths that people will quote to you. Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by faith, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into hell, the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified. That's a word we don't understand in this world. 2019 and we've lost the meaning of justified. That's your homework for the week. I want you to meditate, research, think about the word justified. Because it's by him that we are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. One of his disciples later gets asked, what should we do 
Peter says in Acts 2. That's why we're here today, Alice. They said, what should we do? Peter said, repent and each of you be baptised in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Today I want to simplify faith for those of us who believe. Let's take a moment to just reset. Do we have to press that big reset button? Now I'm not saying let's finish having the arguments over dinner about theology. I quite enjoy that with some of you, not looking at anyone in particular. But don't let's, not, let's, don't let's fall out over it. Let's agree what we agree. That Christ is Lord and by him we are saved. We are saved by grace alone. I want to use this as a reset moment. For those of you, regardless of your age, the kids have gone out there, but we're going to talk to some of them about this later. For those of you who haven't been saved, maybe you need to, to realise this for the very first time. Jesus loves you. And he did it all. And you don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be... That, that's not to say anything against Mother Teresa. That's to say you don't have to suddenly become the perfect human being and spend your whole life doing good works. You don't have to earn this salvation. You just have to choose Jesus. Because you're saved by grace alone. The biggest mega theme in the Bible is love. Do you know the second mega theme? The second most commonly thing talked about in the Bible? Money. It's funny because you thought I was going to say sin or evil, didn't you? The opposite to love. Well, perhaps actually the opposite to love is money. Because it's the one thing that we were all guaranteed to fall out over. Because God knows you. He made you. He created you. So he knows that each of our minds will turn to money. Maybe it's the love of money. Maybe it's the worship of money. Maybe it's the, I can't come to church on a Sunday because I have to work because I need more money. We never thought for a second we could live a more modest life. Or maybe find a job that doesn't require us to work Sundays. You know, actually, we still live in a Christian nation where you can invoke a clause that says, I'm going to give you 13 weeks notice and they can't force you to work on Sundays anymore. I think somebody in the room's actually done that. It's true. I used to be an employer. People used to do that to me, and I used to celebrate them when they did it. Make a choice. We make a choice. It comes to tithing. It comes to giving. It comes to we have an offering in a couple of weeks' time. God isn't testing us. God doesn't test us or tempt us. But he wants to see where our hearts are at. Are our hearts so obsessed with money and personal gain? that when it comes to trusting him with our money, we can't do that. What we say is, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, so I'm not going to be able to give into that offering. I'm, I'm not going to be able to tithe. Do you know, we live in a world, don't we, where we are told, you don't have to be on Facebook or even in the newspapers, read a self-help book. It says, take control. Take control of your destiny. Take control of your future. Take control of your choices. Who are you taking control from? Just think about that. Because if it's just the universe, yeah, it's probably good advice. But if you're a believer, and you've given your life to God, and then you take control, you are taking control from God. So next time you think about taking control, why don't we think about submission instead? 
Why don't we give our lives back to Jesus and say, do you know, my life doesn't look the way I want it to look, God. It probably means I need to lay it down to you again. As opposed to saying, I'm going to take charge. I'm going to take ownership of this. Do you know, once you do that, once you become a Christian, he gives us many gifts. And of course, the non-believer... The non-believer doesn't understand that yet because they've never received them. The the biggest and best gift you ever get is the Holy Spirit. Which means you don't need to leave anything to chance anymore. If you read the the last couple of verses of Acts 1, it's the last time we ever had to leave anything to chance. It was moments before the Holy Spirit was given to us. They cast lots. The followers of Jesus cast lots. That means to say they, they drew straws, I think, would make more sense in our world today, right? They said, God, you know our heart and you know the wisest thing to do, so I'm going to flip this coin and if it lands on a head, we're going to go to Barbados on holiday. And if it lands on tails, we're going to give the money in the offering in two weeks' time. And yes, and if you go to Barbados in six months' time, we'll be judged on this. No, I'm joking. (laughs) You don't have to leave it to chance anymore. God gave us the Holy Spirit. This is why we don't tarot. This is why we don't Ouija board. This is why we don't gamble with these things. Because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. That was the last time they ever had to cast lots. Study the whole of the New Testament. You will never find another example of it. It's full in the Old Testament. That is the last example. Because we trusted God as an external God to affect a physical thing. Well, at the end of Acts 1, beginning of Acts 2... The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside us. So it's no longer an external force, it's an internal force. So if we want to know the heart of God, you pray. You know you're inside, you're with him, you're in community with him. So what are we called to do? That was 30 minutes. I could have said this in 30 seconds, couldn't I? But then it wouldn't have been a sermon... And then some of you who really like sitting there being bored and uncomfortable would have complained and some of you would have said, I haven't earned my money this week. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Let's do it. Can we say amen? Amen. No. In your heart. Were you not listening? (laughs) Say amen in your head, in your heart. So can we do that? Hey, you're learning. It says confess with your lips. Jesus is Lord. Let's do it. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Later on it says, repent. I've got a good one on repent. I wish it was my line. It wasn't. I took it off an amazing preacher. But repent doesn't just mean saying sorry for your sins. It's what you think it means. You know, when your child comes and apologizes to you, you think they're repenting. We get that confused. It's not. They're saying sorry. Repent means to say sorry and turn back to God. So maybe some of you, even if you have been baptized, I'm the first one that needs to do this because I know my sin. I don't know yours. Maybe you're perfect. Maybe you've had a good few days. I don't know. But I haven't. I sin every day. I've sinned today. I need to say sorry for my sin. And I need to turn back to God.
So maybe you guys need to do that. Because the next bit is to be baptized. So we're going to do a baptism now. We're going to get the kids back in. So can, uh, can one of you just go and grab the kids? We're going, to, we're going to do a baptism. I'm hoping many of you have already been baptized. I'm looking down because I don't want to catch any of you by eye. If you haven't been baptized, now is the time. And I don't literally mean today, although I've had this before. And if you want to be baptized and you want to go in now, you can. I'm not going to stop you. It just means you have to drive home wet. Okay? I don't mind. Maybe we have to do it next week. Maybe we have to do it in two weeks' time. I don't care. But these are simple instructions. It doesn't say, believe the book of ignorance. It doesn't say, believe the book of arrogance or get tied up in the book of arrogance. It doesn't mean that you have to believe everything that Ricky preaches from the front. <gasps> Heaven forbid. <laughs> we don't have to agree on all of our theology. This is not a dictatorship. This is a family and I'm going to preach to you what I believe to be true from what I've learned from the scripture and what God has revealed to me through the power of his Holy Spirit. Whether you receive that or not is between you and him. It ain't between you and me and it never will be. Maybe we won't agree on tithing. Maybe we won't agree on what's a sin and what isn't a sin. I don't really care. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I do care. I don't care if we agree. I care for you. That's why I preach to you. That's why we'll have a relationship together and we'll talk about these things because I love you. It's one thing that God gave me, just gave me this unbearable, and it is unbearable love for people. So I don't want you to hurt yourselves, I don't want you to sin, I don't want you to fall short, but I also don't want to condemn you or make you feel guilty when, you know, I could be wrong too. It's my understanding. It's what I believe the Holy Scriptures to say. So we're going to baptise now. They're probably just finishing off. We've got some uh, moving around to do. Is that okay? We have a couple of big, strong lads. Yeah. Not there. If I don't get any volunteers, I am going to... Big, strong lads, big, strong women. I don't care. You just have to be big and you have to be strong. And you have to not fall in, because that would be hilariously funny. <laughs> but, but our health and safety person might tell me off. Believe in your heart, confess with your lips, repent and be baptized. That wasn't even 30 seconds, was it? We're going we're gonna to do some other stuff, but we're going to wait for the kids to come in. We're going to do the baptism. If you do want to be baptized, this is probably... I'm going to stand over there. It might be a good idea for you to come speak to me.